I had become bedridden a lot of the time and reclusive, which is uh, was something really new to me and, and extremely difficult. And, you know, I read books about people or, or saw figures in, in movies that were like this, and I never thought that I would be like that. There I was arriving at a point in my life where I never got out. I rarely got out of bed. It was a dire situation, really. Welcome to A Woman's Blessing podcast. My name is Lynette Allen and this show is dedicated to honouring the strength and resilience of women. Over the past 20 years, I've held hundreds of sister circles and hosted some deeply healing medicine retreats where I've been really humbled to hear the stories of women, how they've overcome really hard life situations. Women are so resilient and so brave and we develop courage on a different level when we know we have to pull ourselves through. This show is about meeting those women. We'll be hearing their most personal stories to reveal how they got through times when they really did not know what was on the other side. And I'm so pleased today, really pleased today, to introduce Rebecca Hayden. Hello, Rebecca. Hi. Really nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been on your show several times talking about ayahuasca. And now we're here to talk about you. So I know that about eight years ago, you were going through a very difficult time in your life and you've got through that difficult time. And so now it's your time and I'm privileged that you've chosen this show to share your story. So about eight years ago, you were going through a period of extreme depression. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I had been depressed on and off throughout my life, so it wasn't a state that I was unfamiliar with, but I had reached a level after I gave birth to my son, and quite a while after, he was around three at this time, where I had become bedridden a lot of the time and reclusive, which is uh, was something really new to me and, and extremely difficult and you know, I read books about people or, or saw figures in, in movies that were like this, and I never thought that I would be like that. There I was, arriving at a point in my life where I never got out. I rarely got out of bed. It was a dire situation, really. Yeah. And I'm not sure how you do that with being a mum to a child as well. That must have been extremely debilitating and, and hard because you were a single mum, right? Um, I wasn't at that time. So I was still oh. with my partner. And so he, yeah, he shouldered a lot of that burden. And I was utterly guilt-ridden about that. And I did, you know, have a difficult time in the hospital with the birth of my son. And so there were uh, physical aspects to it. But in the end, you know, it, the lines were blurred. And all I knew was I was so exhausted every day, you know, so utterly down that I just I couldn't bring myself to to do much of anything. And it was a really uh, difficult situation beyond imagining. So how did that come about? Was it just that you got more and more tired every day after the birth of your son and it came on slowly or was it just like one day I'm, I can't get up I'm not doing this today and then that started from there how did it happen I think it built up actually for many years to be honest but I think the pinnacle was that I had a very difficult birth and, and got very sick in the hospital afterwards and they didn't know what was happening. And the things that happened to me in the hospital were, were quite dangerous. I realized that I wasn't safe. 
So I went into the hospital with depression and pregnant and giving birth. And then afterwards, uh, there was some trauma that happened there too during my care, which was not good. I, I realized that people didn't know what they were doing and I didn't feel safe and for good reason. There were a lot of things that happened in the hospital that were very frightening and eventually, so there's there's layers to this. So eventually I realized I had to get out of the hospital to be safe. <laughs> and, uh, and I managed to do that and I did get out of the hospital. But when I got home, I had follow-up care. Like I went to see um, psychiatrists and even those sessions were more harmful than then they were helpful for me. It was just such a strange turn of events. And in retrospect, I wonder if it wasn't inevitable that I had to, you know, hit rock bottom and, and face, you know, where I was heading so that I could head in another direction. And that's often what I hear is that what we traditionally know as breakdowns in our society are often breakthroughs and certainly our work with ayahuasca, because I know you've sat with ayahuasca many times like I have, is that I think we're shown that breakdowns are breakthroughs. The whole shamanic way of looking at that is it's time to change and you're revealing that side. So I think that's a really interesting perspective to think that. Yeah. You know, at the time, you don't you don't always see it that way. And, you know, there were times that I thought I was going to get out of it by doing this or that. But now looking back at it, I can see that I needed to you know, head deep into it in order to really fully emerge from that and never return to it in the, in the same way. There are times I get down, but not, not never like that, <laughs> never again. It came out just at that time when you were needing to feel the safest in your life. A woman giving birth needs to feel like she's held, yes? Yeah, I think that there are themes there that also were interesting, like some of the themes I had to visit through ayahuasca is about feeling safe and being cared for. And these things weren't happening at a crucial time in my life and eventually led me to the plant medicines that taught me about these themes within my life. And, and I needed to take a look at that and to heal from that. I couldn't do it unless I was aware of it. So I think they were presenting themselves to me. So take us back a little bit. Your son was about three. You were still with your partner then and you were unable to get out of bed. What was the point at which you thought, hang on a moment, I, I need to start shifting something or I'm not going to live like this? Or was there one moment or a series of things that happened where you thought we have to do something about this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the only thing that that seemed to keep me going. The one thing that I hung on to before I was in this position where I was suddenly a mother and feeling incapacitated was before that, um, I had just gotten into film. I started to make films. And that's something like for the first time in my life, I started to do something that I was interested in. And then I discovered I was pregnant and it all kind of came to a big halt. And I think that that may have also been part of this depression as well. And the one thing that I did do while I was depressed is to keep that sense of purpose. I continued along the lines of doing investigation, hoping to embark on another uh, documentary project. But it was very depressing subject matter. Um, I had been in South Africa making a short fundraising film for um, a nonprofit having to do with micro lending in the townships. And I met a guy from the Congo. And when I 
got back, I, I had promised him I'd, I'd try to make a film, you know, about that situation. And the way that I came at it was more on a world scale. Like, what does that have to do with all of us, what's going on in the Congo? And and I got into a very deep, dark world of global politics and uh, not helpful for a person who's suffering from depression. But I could see that the only thing that seemed to keep me going was was feeling like I had some kind of purpose. So I was delving into that stuff, unhelpful as it was or seemed at the time. It did kind of lead it in a darker place and eventually to the place where I felt scared and I felt like, again, I was unsafe and, and getting into, you know, dangerous territory because I started to put information out online about this. And anyway, I, I put myself in a very compromising situation. So I started to connect to material about people who also found themselves in this situation. And somehow, somewhere amongst all of this heavy, dark stuff, I came across somebody who mentioned that their remedy for being targeted in a very ugly way was to reach out into the universe for help. And I thought, wow, like that this was just such an out there solution, <laughs> something I never would have considered in a million years before then. Um, so, and, and it shows the level of my desperation because I had no connection to the spirituality that I was aware of at the time. And I did feel like there was no solution left on this planet for me. <laughs> so one night hmm. I was looking at my son who, you know, slept with me back then and, and I did have time with him. It's just, it was certainly not not the level at which I had hoped. And I was afraid for me, I was afraid for him. And I did reach out in my mind in the universe and not knowing quite what I was doing, but with a very definite request for help. You know, it's like, this is what I need. I need help. And if there's anything out there that can help, I need it. And soon after that, I started to just come across material more and more that that helped me, that started to help me emerge from this depression. The first thing was a documentary, and I watched it, and it was all about supplements. And even though the documentary was not put together in such a way as to suggest, here's what to do if you're depressed and on meds, and here's how to get off them, this is what I got from it. Like By the end of that documentary, I knew exactly how I was going to get off the medication that I was taking, that I was that I've found hard to get off of for years. And suddenly I had the answer. I knew the protocol that I put together for myself. I did it with these high level, you know, natural supplements. And I got off my meds overnight, which is, un <laughs> it's just, uh, I never thought that was possible. And, and it's, it's unprecedented. You got off your meds overnight. Yeah. So you just stopped taking the medication. Yeah, I don't recommend it. <laughs> Um, because I had tried that many other times with dire, you know, results because your body is used to it and I, I'd go through withdrawal and, but suddenly yeah. I, I had this protocol set up where I knew what to take and I stopped the meds one day and started on this protocol the next day. I had no symptoms, nothing. Really? So yeah. this was just by watching that documentary, you just kind of knew what to do by the end of it. Yes, I did. And I had full conviction. And did that tell you what to do? Or did you just kind of make put the pieces together in your own mind? I put the pieces together. It was talking about um, depression and many other conditions. Like it was that was a small subject among many and different kinds of uh, uh, nutritional supplements that help. But for me, by the end of it, I had in exactly in my mind what I was going to do and, and what I was going to take and what levels and everything. Yeah. See, I've, I find that very interesting because I know from talking to women, if you talk to them about one topic, 
their brains, our brains, are wired in such a way that we light up the whole brain because we are solution focused in many other things. So while I'm talking to one person about one issue, it's already sparking inspired action for how I can do something else completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. So I found this to be true from coaching women actually anyway. And it's so amazing to hear that you got that just by watching a documentary. Can I take you back a few steps to when you asked the universe for help? Now, I know that you didn't know what you were doing at that point, and we might phrase things a little bit differently now. But yes. were you specific in what help you needed? Or did you just say, as you said, just, I need help, please help me? What yeah. did you say? Do you remember? I don't remember exactly what I said. I'm I'm so different in in these ways now, <laughs> but back then mm. it, I was it was sheer desperation. It it really was. I yeah. must have these allies must have been there all the time because the help was there, but it it showed up in interesting ways as as we know, right? Yeah. So you go from being exhausted on medication, in bed, unable to get up feeling the terrible guilt you must have had as a mother because I was only talking about that yesterday actually I think when you have a child you just have this hormone of guilt that gets shot into you at the same time I don't know what that's about but it's there yeah. on a completely different on a completely different level yeah um, and so you're you're going through that you then find yourself more more feeling this unsafeness because of your work with the film you were making so you were still managing to make that film or to con to talk about making that film in the Congo at that time it was the only thing that, that kept me going really it was the only thing that that yeah. kept me feeling like I I had a purpose and I think that it was it's so many things were colliding at that time you know, my my whole life working up to this time where I'm finally doing something that I feel connected to and then having the baby and having all these health issues and then wanting to try to keep that going. I even had a chance to to create a business around it, but then I also was asked to go back to work for a time. And I chose to go back to work because I felt guilty and because I felt it would get me on a force me back on a normal schedule and I, I was just completely deluded <laughs> um, and, and feeling guilt and making wow. decisions, the, you know, quote unquote, responsible decisions that I felt I should make. And I went back and I was just, I was depressed. I was, I'd go to work, I, I'd come back, I'd, I'd, I'd cry and go to sleep as soon as I got home. And it was just, it was a nightmare. I had to leave. Everybody knew, you know, and, and I took leave again and it was like nothing was working. So, yeah. So then I found myself reaching out in this way, doing all that research, reaching out in that way. And then the documentary, and then I discovered energy healing, and it was just one step after another. And then shamanism, because yeah. so once I discovered energy healing, it started to make me feel a little better than just being off the meds. Like there were many steps and stages in getting better. And I did research about this energy healing that I discovered that was starting to really work well with me too. And I want to know where is this coming from? You know, where, when did we discover energy healing and if its roots were in shamanism? So I pursued that. Oh, I see. Right. So how did you come across energy healing? Well, um, because I'd taken an interest in natural health and, you know, nutrition and all the all these things, I had, I had a magazine that I subscribed to or picked up um, on a regular basis. Then I was pouring over it saying, okay, well, if I can accomplish this through, uh, through these supplements, then maybe there's other alternatives that I'm not aware of that I need to know about that will help me, you know, further in this healing path. And 
that that's where I discovered this energy healing that was very different than anything I've known. Like this guy stood across from me in a room and sent energy through my body in a way that allowed my body to move without my brain deciding where it was going to move or how it was going to move. And it just changed me. I, even thinking that that was possible, even witnessing it, witnessing myself doing that was very unusual. So he stuff. didn't touch you. He didn't, he didn't lay his hands on you. And like I do Reiki and that would be a traditional way. You know, hands are just above somebody or, or on the body. There was no body work. It was just, no. you were like the other side no. of the room. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it was very different. I was <laughs> like I watched, yeah. And I was watching my body move. And he said, just let it flow through you and allow you to move and go with it. And it did some very strange things. Like my neck shot back, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, this is very uncomfortable and weird. But in the end, again, another layer was shed and I started to feel even better. And um, yeah, that's when I had to go investigate. It's like I, my researcher mind kicked in and I went, I want to know all about energy healing, where did it come from? How do we know how to do this? How is it possible that a body could do this? So yeah. And then your research took you into the roots of shamanism. Had you had anything to do with that before? Had that word called you? Because in my relationship with shamanism, about a decade ago, I first heard really that word and I was pinged in my head. I'm like, oh, I like that word. Where is that word? How do I learn more about that? But I read something that I thought, oh, no, 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 that's not for me. And of course, a decade later, I'm deep diving into shamanism. So had you heard of that word before? Yeah, yeah, I had. And that's interesting that you mentioned that about the the fearful stories sometimes. Um, the story that I recall was actually a good one. Um, I, I was taking a fourth year philosophy of psychology course. And one of the readings, recommended readings, was a story about a psychologist who went into a traditional setting with a shaman. And the purpose, the intention there was to expose the shaman. And instead, you know, this psychologist was won over by the experience. There was no mention of medicine. <laughs> but oh, OK, OK. And this was a story I read, you know, ages ago course it embedded somewhere in my mind because as soon as I read that word again I thought oh wow yeah I think I remember something about this you know so mm. I was utterly intrigued and uh and yeah I, I found a course that I could take Michael Harner's um he wrote a famous book called uh, The Way of the Shaman and he'd done cross-cultural studies all over the world comparing and and compiling uh, pra shamanic practices that were similar across all kinds of different cultures and then you know created a program uh, with his organization that a lot of people teach and so I went to this workshop and I heard about ayahuasca and I heard one of those scary stories you know that I after hearing it I, I thought oh yeah that's not for me <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah that's kind of the uh the experience a lot of people have I think when they first dive in I think it either takes you straight away or you think oh man that's a bit too that's a bit too serious I'm not doing that I wonder if there's a if there's a plan in all that too for us to have respect for the difficulties that can come about and also know that you know it's not one of those things you just dive into that that you have to you know take your time and and make your way towards it but and that's what I I had to do but I I rejected it in my mind because this story was quite <laughs> a powerfully you know negative story and in the meantime 
things had started to to happen with this the shamanism that I was experiencing. There were a lot of people at this workshop, and they were experiencing things I was not. Like they were able to journey, I wasn't. I mean, can you you can think about the fact that I'd been on these meds and. I was just coming out of such a dark place. The only thing that was working for me was that I was so open because I just didn't care uh, what it took to get well. I was willing to do anything, you know, so that mm. was working for me. But there were other layers that needed to be shed. And throughout this whole time that people were journeying and telling their stories about this amazing experience they would have when they were journeying, I, I didn't experience anything until the end. And the instructor took me aside and said, I'm going to um, you know, connect you with your helping spirit. And again, utterly foreign idea to me, but I, I was just so open. It's like, whatever it takes, let's do it. I'm open. <laughs> and sure enough, we did. And, and it was, it was this bird and, um, I felt something, but it wasn't, you know, quite the, the big, you know, movie stories that were, people were telling. It was just this sense. And then we went into one more journey, and during that time, eyes closed, and the way that they journeyed through this course was just with sonic drumming, so just with, you know, this monotonous drum sound. And suddenly I heard the chirping of a bird, and, you know, you're lying down blindfolded. I sat up, I shot right up, and I looked around to, to figure out what was going, where's this sound coming from? I even went so far as to look at people's feet to see if they had, you know, running shoes that were squeaking together that could possibly sound like a bird sound, you know. Oh, really? Okay. Because yeah. my logical brain would not allow for the fact that that happened in my mind without some logical mm -hmm. explanation. But obviously, like nobody was wearing shoes because we were all getting very comfortable. And uh, anyway, I left there and. I had this helping spirit and I thought, well, what, what do we do with helping spirits? You know, what do I do with it? And, and my only, you know, frame of reference to any spirituality was, you know, praying at night before you go to sleep. So at night before I went to sleep, I reached out in my mind to this bird and said, hey, you know, let's see what we can do. And I started to ask questions and my dreams started to change and I could tell that I was getting responses and yeah, everything changed. That's but, amazing, Rebecca. That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very unexpected stuff. I mean, I, I was certainly not prepared for that, but it was, and, and I was changing. I was changing a lot because not only in my dreams, this guidance started to kick in all the time because I started to just ask all kinds of questions. Why is this happening to me? Why are people behaving toward me in these ways? And the biggest answer that I got, the most consistent answer to all these questions was I had a sense of this mirror being propped up in front of me. You know, this is how I was getting answers at the time. And I had this sense of a big mirror, you know, so it's, and this was the reflection outward of me. And so it happened then like it does now. So that shaped my next question and intention. It's like, okay, so how do I change the reflection of me that's happening in the world? And then it led me to Iboga eventually. I started to learn about Iboga and I went, ah. <laughs> this is absolutely lovely to hear and because I just love hearing the journey because I think when you're in the depths of this is not the life I want for myself, I can't do this anymore. We've all been there at some point and from my experience with talking to women, they're never phases that last terribly long you know that phrase this too shall pass comes into my mind a lot but they're definitely we have the capacity to reach real depth of emotion uh men and the women 
but when we are in that state, we cannot see how to get out. I love hearing the, the ladder story out, you know, well, the first thing I did was, was this and ask for help. The second, I just asked anybody like universe, I don't know who you are or what this thing is, but I heard you could help. And then you get a documentary come your way that gives you a path and suddenly you have all this information to knowing how to come off your antidepressants. And then you're hearing this word energy healing and then you go to a, a guy who does this thing with your body and you feel another bit better and that's like it's the steps out of the hole I find are so inspirational because they give other people the hope that there is a ladder if only I can just find it find the first step then I'm on the ladder yeah and it's such a custom experience like for each and every one of us it's unique and different and driven in different ways by different things, you know. I'm, I I had this deep-seated need to serve a purpose. And I, I think about, you mentioned my son and guilt, and that was heavy. But now I know that I the parent that I could have been back then would, would not be anything close to the parent I can be now because I went through the things that I did. Because um, now I'm learning really yeah. how to be yeah. a good parent because I'm learning about me. And, and it's so important. I can't imagine parenting without this. I can't. It's really interesting because I I find when I've had lowest times as well, then, and I write about my journeys and, and my experiences. My last book actually was all about my big change in my year. That was part of my healing. And I also wrote that book, not only for other women, but I wrote it for my daughters. I have one who's 25 and Livy who's eight. And so for them, they're going to go through that. Like it's life. It's going to happen. But I want them and other women to know there is a way out. There's a ladder. And everybody, like you say, it's so unique. Everybody's story, everybody's way out is so unique. And it's their life purpose calling them. It's what they're here to do calling them. It's like the real them allowing itself to emerge. I just find that so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was very unique. <laughs> and and many rungs. and And they're still there. I'm still climbing that ladder. Well, that's the other thing. Yeah, there's no such thing as done either. So, I mean, you just get to the next level. You know, yeah. It's like there's, I always tell my clients, don't look at me and think that I'm done and that I'm here to tell you how to do it. We're all still doing it. That's right. It's just the ability to hold space for somebody because you have been through a certain amount of life shit <laughs> you you find yourself able to hold a really good container for that person while they find their ladder right exactly yeah and this is good training for it um and you mentioned something really important you're highlighting something that's so essential right now because i i couldn't see the other side and there are many times in life where we cannot see the way out but once, you know, and, and we try to take our logical minds through this and, and it's not the way that it's, it's not a good way to go about it. Um, what is good is to know that there are many times in many lives where we couldn't see the other side, but there it was. None of us knew you didn't and I didn't know about ayahuasca when we found ourselves in difficulties before and we couldn't know that the solution was so magical and unfathomable. And look at how many other things out there that could be unfathomable and, and so effective and amazing and life-changing for us, right? 
Completely. You know, one of the most difficult times I mean there have been several big times now you don't get to almost 50 without having some big stuff but mm-hmm. one of the most difficult times was the breakdown of my first marriage and I was like in the depths of shock that my marriage was breaking down and it was my my choice to to break that marriage down but for me something too massive had shifted and I, I couldn't come back from that and I remember, I mean, I used to plan my panic attacks around work. It was like a really desperate time, something I'd never experienced before. And something made me put loud music on in the evenings and dance and sing so loud. I had a detached house where nobody, I hope, could hear me sing. <laughs> um, but I would dance around the kitchen with my two dogs that I had then and I just felt amazing and it was actually Katy Perry's fireworks song that I was singing to. I heard that song and for some reason it's like, this is my song, right, I'm on this. And I just sang it over and over and over and over again and it made me feel better. And I know that that point for me dancing around the kitchen, another thing had changed. I was still in my house. I was still with my husband. I still knew things I needed to do inexplicably difficult things and have inexplicably difficult conversations. But there was something driving me to dance around the house to that song. So it's strange things, but I know that the words of that song really got me to another level where I was able to see another level of light. And I think it's like, who would have thought that it would be a song that would help me gravitate from one situation to the next. You just don't know. Yeah, that was your medicine. And that's powerful stuff too. I mean, after I came back from Peru, when I eventually did make my way to ayahuasca, it took a couple of medicines before (laughs) she was ready for me. And then when I finally went down there and came back, music has always been a big part of my life, but suddenly the song spoke to me in a very new way. And I was just having these, there were, communicating with me you know and again you go back in your mind and you go oh wow I think I remember hearing something about this before like and and since then I've heard many occasions where it's been laced into other stories um stories of people who talked about believe it or not alien visitations and the whole past with um the Beatles and this song talking to them I don't know if you remember that whole story but it's not an unknown thing it's just something that never occurred to me until suddenly I was having these extraordinary experiences you know Mm, it's just beautiful tell me because I have a fascination with ayahuasca and and I've sat with her so long tell me a little about what you learned from sitting with her I mean each journey is so different and we go in with such respect every single time but do you think there was a theme for you of healing and messages from her um I think that that was something that that came out through my own intention interestingly because well as as you know my first medicine was iboga and the tradition with iboga is to write down questions in advance so even though with ayahuasca I know that were some retreat centers when this one certainly was the case where they encourage you to think about your intentions in advance so there I was doing what I'd already known to do was to sit and write down my intentions And I was writing down all kinds of nice, healthy things, right? (laughs) You know, things I want to change in my life. But in my mind, something different was going on. So as I was writing out, oh, I'd like to be healthier, I'd like to be this or that. In my mind, I was 
wondering if it was possible to explore the nature of reality through this experience with this medicine. And so when I found myself in ceremony with ayahuasca and she showed up for me, that's what she answered. It wasn't all the things that I was writing down. <laughs> it was the burning question in my mind. I love that. It's like the left brain is going, I'd like to come off coffee and caffeine. I'd like to have a healthier work-life balance. <laughs> and inside she's going, no, you don't. No, you yeah. don't. No, let's just get right to the point. I love Mother Ayahuasca for that. You know, she just takes you right there. Come on, you yeah. want that? Just ask for that. And she just knows. I just love that so much. Yeah. Yeah, there's no hiding from her. There's none. And, and she knows exactly <laughs> oh, what's going on. I tell you, what, you, I've seen a few people try to hide from Mother Ayahuasca. It doesn't look good. <laughs> and, and you know, with me, I don't think I was trying to. I, I think that I, I really hadn't uh, acknowledged how important that was to me. I, yeah. I thought, oh, these are the things I wonder in my mind. But here I am being the responsible person doing what I'm supposed to do. And her responding to that in that way helped me to understand that this is really big part of who I am these kinds of inquiries it's always been that way with me I, I was a philosopher from a very young age I just I wasn't terribly good at academics and I didn't know where I fit in and you know probably didn't for many years but she was kind of you know allowing me to see that this is really a big part of who I am and and to not shy away from that and to pursue that and that is going to lead to all those other things you know, all that balance and healthy stuff, you know, to, to acknowledge who I am and to really pursue that. Yeah. And that's really interesting. It's like the what we should do, the what we've been taught to do, how to be a good girl, which you've mentioned several times. It's like what I should do is go back to work. What I should do is think about, you know, I'd like to be, have a happier life. You know, all of those things, we get caught in the what we should do's versus the my sole core purpose on this earth, what I really came to discover and create and enjoy and grow. Oh man, they're so different, right? Yeah. And I think there was a big collision that happened when I became a mother and all the responsibilities that come with that and and that tremendous guilt and not being able to fulfill those duties and still trying at the same time to pursue something that was so unhealthy and yet purpose-driven, and that ultimately, when I just admitted that this was important to me, I became the better mother, I became healthier in other ways, <laughs> like all of those things that I was trying to accomplish were accomplished through me just admitting who I was and pursuing that, you know, unabashedly. Mm. If you were talking to somebody who's in a state of depression now, what would you say to them? Um, it's it's such a difficult time, and I think there are a lot of people who are there now, and, and I've certainly gone back there to some degree. I think the key is to to try to find space in your mind to be open to possibilities. There are varying degrees of capacities that we have or don't have in that state. And the openness is is really the key. It's more than being happy or anything. You can't force yourself to be happy. But if you try to open your mind a little bit to other possibilities, that's that's the entry point to moving beyond where you are. And actually, I on my show, I did interview a psychologist who did a study of what was happening with people post ayahuasca and trying to find, you know, the common ground there, which is interesting because <laughs> we're all so unique. But the one thing across the board they were able to, and this was a peer-reviewed study that was conducted by um, 
uh, Dr. Rachel Harris. And what they discovered is that across the board, what ayahuasca did for every single person was to open them up more. So opening mm -hmm. up is a really uh, fundamental part of healing, even the concept itself, even to start to, uh, you know, in your mind, entertain what does it mean to be, to open up, to create an opening in your mind. I think that that is a powerful thing, open up to other possibilities, because a lot of the times what we're doing when we're in depression is we're trying to find the future by raking over our past. In fact, this was a big message my last trip to Peru in my ayahuasca ceremony, <laughs> my last one. I got I got back just under the wire just before the whole lockdown <laughs> happened. And, and, and ayahuasca was saying, "Get go, go back, go back to Canada. And I'm trying to figure out why I'd spent all this money going down there. And it's like, go back. And then of course I come and the whole lockdown happens. Like, ah, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> But, but this big yeah. message, and this is what she said at one point, there wasn't tons of messages like there usually are. There was just a few kernels. And one of them was, don't root around in your past to discover your future. Mm. And that's one that I think is important for depression because I think that's what a lot of us are trying to do. I so get that. I listen to Esther Hicks every day. Mm -hmm. And she, of course, is channeling Abraham, the law of attraction, and what she talks about all the time is the frequency you're resonating on, the things you're talking about, the things you're thinking about. The law of attraction allows you to see more of that and to feel more of that and to come up with more proof of that. And to go from a depressed state to one which is more relaxed, feeling relief, sighing some feelings of letting go, feeling a glimpse of happiness, remembering what that feels like. That journey to that brighter place is not one you can make in an instant because you have a frequency, a well-used path you've trodden of a certain thinking pattern and vibration. And so she says when you want to open up the possibility that life could be different, you go general, exactly what you said, go general. There's a possibility that life could be different. I trust that this time next year, my life could be quite different. I think I have the capacity to feel happiness. You know, just general statements that bring some shift in your emotion mm -hmm. is a really good place to start. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. In fact, these lessons keep coming, you know, and, and there's degrees of success with it. In other words, what I was capable of doing a few years ago in this regard is is different than, than now and will be different in the future. So just take a stab at it. Give yourself permission to to even fantasize, to think about what if, you know, what if I could live a better life? Um, what would that look like? What would that feel like? Most importantly, the feeling, because we could get carried away with details and then our barriers you know, get in the way, oh, can't do that because of money or can't do that because of that's not open to me. Instead, go mm. into the feeling, what would it feel like if I had the life that, that I know I want to live in a year from now and give yourself permission to entertain it in the slightest, even, you know, think about the possibility of having that. What would it feel like if you could kind of thing and just open the, that door. The other day I was, I got this big lesson in this. So it's interesting you mentioned Abraham Hicks because I'd heard about her and then before, like before I even um, started working with medicines, and then I went down to Peru for the first time five years ago and started to work with medicine, and I came back, and this, instead of this sort of more 
um, subtle guidance that I used to have when I first embarked on my shamanic journeys. Now there was this voice, this dialogue that's constantly with me. <laughs> and that took a huge adjustment. The, like the first year after I came back from Peru, I had to just be by myself, which was really difficult because, of course, I spent so many years feeling um, isolated and depressed. And then I come back with this voice and go, oh, my God, I'm going to have to learn to live with this. It was beautiful. I was grateful. But it was something that took a lot of adjusting to. Anyway, so now I'm, I am somewhat adjusted to it. And not long ago, during this whole crazy time, I've had to go through some big transitions and I'm trying to sort through in my mind, I'm trying to problem solve. I'm going back to the traditional problem solving thinking, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it wasn't in, in the closed state I used to do it. It wasn't in the, the panic written, shut everything out kind of way I used to. It was more open, but I was still, you know, reverting back to my traditional ways of, of thinking. And this voice kicks in and says, you are praying to all the wrong gods. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> yes. And so I had to kind of sit and, and open up to what that meant. And the lesson started to kind of trickle in about how focusing on the problems was sending this signal out into the world about these problems. And that's where that's where the communication breaks down instead of um, opening up to the solutions and focusing on them. And then a different communication goes out into the universe, you know? Mm. I definitely think it's a vibration thing. It's what we put out there is what we get back. Yeah. So once I started to think about all of these good things, like I started to play with the idea, thinking about all these Greek gods and all the rest of it. And, and I, my imagination kicked in and I started to go, okay, now, Let's feel what it feels like to connect with the God of love, the God of prosperity, all of these things. And of course, my vibration changed because my feelings were changing. My mood was changing. Mm. Everything was changing, right? So, yeah. Oh, so much so. So much goodness to come out of that. Just to mm -hmm. think, well, if I was to connect with prosperity, like what does it feel like to be prosperous? What does that what does a person feel like? How grounded do they feel? How safe do they feel in the world? When you can really start to, just for a few seconds, bring that to you, even though in reality, we know that perhaps we don't have very much in the bank, but it's the feeling. Can I bring that feeling in? Oh my gosh, then things start to shift so much. It's very powerful stuff because even though our situation might be one thing right at the moment, Again, we don't know what's around the corner and we don't know what's possible. If we've decided that we know everything that's possible and there's such a limited, you know, option or no options, even worse, then we are going to close ourselves in. But when you open up to what is the feeling of this, then suddenly, well, guess what? Those problems that I was entertaining, instead of entertaining them, I started to go into this mode of allowing these feelings, these concepts to, you know, to fill my mind, the concept of prosperity, the concept. And all those problems, by the way, they started to become solved one after another on their, in their oh, own, yeah, unpredictable they ways. They so do. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to share one thing with you that when I was feeling like I really didn't want to be in the environment that I was in about, well, it was maybe four or five years ago. I wrote a letter to myself and I said, you won't always be in this situation. One day you're going to wake up in this situation and you're going to see this and you're going to feel this. And one day this is going to be the truth. And you don't always have to sit here and 
I just kind of played with the idea of one day this is going to be different and your outlook's going to be different. And then less, I got to be less than two weeks later, because this was about where I lived. Two weeks later, we happened to have this house just fall into our laps. Like, you really, you couldn't have made it up. You could not have made the whole story up. And we just basically got offered this house. And I was like, huh. And I did have to put a big deposit down. But I had been saving for a few months and I was thinking, yeah, you might need that money. Just put that money to one side. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice bit of money. Yeah. Just put that over there. I think you're going to need that. And that was all I knew. And then when this house came, I was able to give a big lump sum up front and then go, okay, when can I move in? Five days? Right. I'm in. (laughs) And that was it. So quick. That's amazing. I love it. And you'd even prepared for it. So on some level, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'd even prepared for it and I didn't even know what I was preparing for. I didn't know why I was squirreling that money away. I didn't know. You're right. <laughs> That's the best too. There's even wisdom out there about starting to prepare for this better future too. That can be powerful as well. And engaging your imagination in that direction. Start to give yourself permission to imagine this better future even though you don't know how it could possibly come about. We are all being lined up all of the time, all being lined up as long as we can just get our thoughts in sync and our emotions in sync with how we want to feel, not the story and the past that we've been through. Mm-hmm. I find, oh gosh, opens up everything. Rebecca, at the end of my sessions here on the podcast, I ask three questions. Okay. And these three questions are very dear to my heart they run through my ceremonies my rituals my coaching practices everything I do because I think they're so valuable the first one is we honor the girl you used to be so Rebecca what would you like to say now to the girl you used to be um you have a brighter future than you can imagine but give it a try oh I love that so much (laughs) you just made me melt (laughs) And to the woman you are now, what would you say to yourself? Um, I'm really proud of you. You've been through a lot and you've come through it well. And do you have the sense of the woman you are yet to become? I think that the woman that I'm going to become is going to have very much to do with being shaped by ayahuasca. Mm. Ayahuasca seems to have some big plans for me that she's letting me know about, so... All I have to do is is surrender to it and know that she knows who I am more than I do. Keep listening. Keep Mm -hmm. listening. I love that so much. Thank you, Rebecca, for your time today. This has been our third or fourth attempt (laughs) between two working mothers to actually get this down. And we did it today. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for allowing me to tell my story. Yeah. It's been lovely. If you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to dig deep into your resilience and find your true power, I would really love to hear from you. When women stand up and tell their stories, we give hope and inspiration to those who are struggling right now. And we really do need a ton of strength sisters, women we know and women we don't know, to be held by, heard by and inspired by dig deeper into your own self-discovery check out our coaching ceremonies to find yourself and the medicine woman within you download our divine rituals 
to get you back on the road to your highest life purpose at www.awomansblessing.com. And from me and Rebecca, thank you for listening. We appreciate you and we hope this story has sparked huge possibility. Lots of love from us both.